welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. It's day six of the tournament. And of course, you can watch all the matches live on RT2 and the RT Player. I'm Raf Giallo, and tonight I'm joined by Connor Neville of RT Sport Online and also Paul Corey, former UCD and Shamrock Rovers midfielder. We're going to be looking back at today's earlier games, the three matches involving Wales and Iran, Qatar and Senegal, and the Dutch and Ecuador. We'll also look ahead to tomorrow's fixtures. There's a lot of uh, big games including Argentina trying to rescue their World Cup against Mexico. But at the same time, while we're recording, we all have England against the USA in the background. And uh, Connor, I know you're a little bit underwhelmed by what you've seen of uh, England version two, despite what they did to Iran a few days ago. Uh, massively underwhelmed. I mean, I was kind of raving about them at the, on uh, Monday. I mean, they looked fantastic. I thought they were definitely one of the contenders, but uh, they're being thoroughly uh, outclassed here. I mean, I'm hugely impressed by the Americans now. I mean, I, I thought against Wales, they were extremely good in the first half, and then they'll be kicking themselves that they let that slip and they let Wales back into that game. Because, you know, yeah, and, and, really, and Wales really demonstrated their limitations today. But this, I mean, there's 61 minutes gone. Uh, I'm looking at at least on my television, and uh, America still have the ball as they've had for a lot of the game, and uh, yeah, England are really uh, under the cosh. Yeah, and Paul, this is an unchanged, more or less an unchanged team for England um, playing the same formation. So what is the... Obviously, there is a difference in terms of Iran and the United States, how they set up. But what is going wrong for England here? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Connor. I thought they were they were superb in that first game against Iran. And I guess they're lacking kind of any sort of fluency or, or momentum, particularly in the final third. They seem to start well in the first five, ten minutes of, of this game. And it's slowly kind of dwindled or the, the performance levels have dropped. So it's hard to put your finger on, on why that is. They do seem to be getting kind of overrun in midfield and that's maybe starving the supply line into the likes of Kane, uh, Sterling, Mount and um, and Saka. So it's it's hard to put your finger on us. Why, why that is, Raf, it just seems as if it's been a drop-off on the previous performance. But, um, you know, 62 minutes gone here, the one criticism that people tend to have of Southgate is that he's very slow to change things. And I'm actually surprised he hasn't made a change already. Yeah, and so as it stands, we'll we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, it's soccer nil, football nil. So uh, <laughs> uh, no change there. But earlier on uh, in the same group, Wales, who were coming into the match with Iran on one point from the draw they'd got against the United States, were hopeful of getting three points to put pressure on the Americans and also at the same time eliminate Iran, except that's not what happened. They went down to 10 men, Wayne Hennessy getting sent off towards the end and uh, goals from Ruzbe Chesmi and Ramin Rezaian for Iran led to a 2-0 win for the Iranians who now are currently, as it stands, second in that group. And uh, first on the red card, Connor, uh, there were shades of uh, Harold Schumacher on Badistan a little bit from 1982 yeah. with the Wayne Hennessy one. Uh, well, a little bit. I mean, he wasn't as... I mean, I always think Schumacher's... I had an argument with Dave Kelly of RT Sport during the week. I mean, I, I have a slightly contrarian view in that I don't think Schumacher ever went out to assault Badison, really. And I think... I don't think it's up there with the Ben Hatcher tackle on Mendez or even Keenan Haaland in terms of malice. But Schumacher's was really... Uh, looked terrible because he was so callous in the aftermath and he seemed to be... He was almost psychotically unruffled by the fact that he had maimed this guy. Whereas Hennessy looked a bit shook by the incident. I don't think, you know, clearly he was, he was, it was a sort of desperate uh, scamper out of his goal and he was late and it was a sickening collision. Um, 
And it was justly a red card. But I mean, you know, the ref initially thought it was a yellow. Um, I know Kenny Cunningham still thinks it's a yellow. I'm not sure how that opinion has gone down. It doesn't seem to be going down universally well. But uh, I thought it was just about a red card. But I, I don't think there was malice in it from Hennessy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it cost Wales in the closing minutes, I suppose. But I mean, I, the game was kind of... You know they, they were asking for it anyway, even without that. I thought. I mean, they they were they. Uh, it really showcased their limitations and this, and the sense that Wales are really about four or five years past their peak. I think really. Yeah, because uh, Paul, I guess the peak in a way. I mean, they did well at Euro twenty twenty. They got out of their their group, which uh, was topped by Italy, and then were knocked out in the last sixteen. But um, would you would it be fair to say in terms of their peak, it has to obviously in terms of results getting to a semi final at Euro twenty sixteen has to count. But it it has that kind of feel of Iceland's golden generation where they did so well at one Euros and then the World Cup uh, in twenty eighteen proved a step too far. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, I think so. And I actually I fancied Wales to get out of the group raft. I thought their experience was probably going to be enough to to just steer the the three games and get them enough points to get out of the group but um yeah i mean today was very disappointing i thought they did well in the second half against usa to, to kind of wrestle their way back in into the game i thought Kiefer moore made a big change when he came in and, and played center forward and maybe had Garrett bale off and was expecting to see much of the same today against iran but they just couldn't get going and you're absolutely right in saying that it does has a feel that this generation is, has maybe come to an end because if you look at the last 15 20 minutes and i know the heat will have had a factor, but they looked so leggy. Like, Joe Allen came off the bench and he couldn't get up to the speed of the game. Aaron Ramsey, Garrett Bale, their impact was minimal, if not null, uh, throughout the 90 minutes. They just couldn't get anything going. And we probably shouldn't be too surprised if you, if you look at kind of Aaron Ramsey's career over the last 24, 36 months down at Rangers, not really getting into the Rangers team. Garrett Bale has played very little football. Uh, Joe Allen's on the wrong side of 30. There's there's a case there, and you could put Wayne Hennessy in that bracket as well, has not played a lot of football. That decision he made to come out of his box, not even to slow down and just take the player out, was was probably evidence of a man who who's just a little rusty. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very disappointing. I, I, I kind of wanted him to, to go on and do well. But I mean, on the basis of that result today, you know, it, they're they're all but dead and buried. I cannot see them getting three points, which they'll need against England. There's, a, yeah. there's an argument that Joe Allen was probably culpable, partially culpable for both the goals, really, with that miss mm -hmm. clearance, and then he got kind of caught on the breakaway too for the second goal, I think. But uh, yeah. I did enjoy the Sky News box, box pop. Did you see? That? Oh yeah, yeah. I think people people should go on Twitter and look that up. There are words used in it which we can't repeat here, um, but I think it sums up the mood of a nation. I think he also messed it up and maybe antagonized. Oh, yeah. He asked bit. the first guy, "How do we feel about the win?" <laughs> yeah, the win. Yeah. There, you know, his irritation was playing as he said, "We lost." But, uh, yeah, it was funny. yeah, I think, well, I don't know, between ourselves, you and me, Connor, I suppose, working in this game, I think we've all done, we've probably all done Vox Pops at this stage. I'm not a fan of doing them. Uh, I'm just putting that on the record here. So just if my bosses want to... Great empathy <laughs> for my colleague there, I admire. <laughs> yeah, but um, in regards to uh, Iran, actually, Connor, just um, obviously in that first game against England, went as badly as it could. They didn't sing the national anthem beforehand, but that, of course, relates to uh, what's happening in their home country and they did sing it this time but it was a lot more muted but the performance 
in that context of all the pressure they're under from supporters and everything that's happening back in Iran, like it was an it was an outstanding performance in the circumstances when everyone would have thought they were kind of dead and buried in terms of the this group after losing six two in the first game. Yeah, it's outstanding. I mean, they've, they've obviously generated a huge amount of goodwill uh, off the back of their protest in the first game. I mean, I was I, I have been following some of the stuff about about the Iranian uh, protests and the relationship of the football team to the protests because. As I understand it, I, I think Bernie Rone uh, of the Guardian was saying that in, in Iran the regime takes actually a dim view of football, and um, they don't like they don't actually endorse a notion of Iran as a country outside of the regime. So you know, football. I mean, I, I was quite surprised to see the, the players uh, lining up with the protests so so thoroughly. But I suppose it, it makes sense in the context that you know. The regime is anti-football to begin with, so football is at a remove from that. But uh, yeah, I mean, a superb performance in that context. Uh, I know they sang the anthem anthem today. Um, I mean, I I had kind of dismissed them. I mean, I thought this was. I mean, I, Neville Southall. I remember saying saying before the World Cup that he thought Iran would be Wales's toughest game because they don't like playing as favourites, and I thought that was a a notion you wouldn't really stand over after the opening week of games, but. Uh, you know, clearly they were rejuvenated. And maybe uh, it's possible there was a lot on their mind in the England game because they were really overawed. And they were also possibly unsettled by the lengthy injury to the to the goalkeeper so early. And uh, that may have sort of conditioned the the performance in the first half, which I think the game really got away from them. But they were they were superb uh, today. And uh, yeah, thoroughly deserved their win against uh, an admittedly aged and struggling Welsh team. Yeah, um, Paul. Like looking at England here, obviously they're still uh, it's still nil nil here as we're as we're recording here against the United States. And given like we've seen we've seen teams like Scotland, like Scotland, the last Euros gave England a really really good game. Would it be beyond uh, probability that Wales could actually get a win against England, or at least some sort of like a, obviously a draw at this stage won't be enough? But is it is it possible? Is it within the realms of possibility in this uh, in this world that we live in that Wales could uh, take England in the final game? Well, we've seen enough surprises uh, already in this tournament to suggest that it absolutely could happen. And I guess it, a lot of that will depend on on what England we side we see. You know, will it be the the team that was kind of free flung against Iran, or is it the one that's kind of huffed and puffed like they have done in this United States game and I mean, you know, Connor might be right there. What Neville Southall said, coming into that game as underdogs and everybody writing them off might actually suit them. And maybe they have got a performance left in them where they it could all just go right in the day and they could produce something. And if they scored first, you know, they have that kind of um, three centre-halves and the two wing-backs that if they were to go ahead, they could kind of settle into, into a shape and defend what they have. It's very unlikely, Raph, I believe, based, based on what we've seen so far. Uh, I think England would be more than comfortable within that game, particularly with the knowledge that they'll have of the Welsh players with so many of them playing in, in the UK. There shouldn't be any kind of surprise factors there. So I think what you mentioned previously before about kind of the end of a generation, I'd be very surprised if if they were if they were to cause an upset against against England. Yeah, and then in terms of uh, obviously Wales looking like they're going out and very much on the brink bar a, uh, a special result against England. Qatar, um, the hosts are already out and are going home, which of course means it's a very short journey given that they don't, uh, they're not going anywhere else. But uh, overall, I mean, uh, as the record stands, they're the earliest hosts to exit the tournament, but 
Again, they've uh, over two games. I mean, you saw this Senegal game where Senegal beat them 3-1 uh, today. They were a lot better, but still, I mean, the golfing class, and I mean, we've played them as well. Ireland beat, beat them 4-0 in October of last year. They're, they're not great shakes. No, they absolutely aren't. And I, the one thing that jumped off the page for me before the tournament began was the result they had against Linfield in Marbella. I think they either drew or they were beaten by Linfield. And I started thinking, okay, well, you know, we, we, shouldn't, really, we shouldn't really expect too much of this Qatari team. And that was probably true across the two games that we've seen. I mean, Ecuador have probably been a little bit of a surprise package and were good against Qatar. But I thought, you know, with everything that was at stake at the first game, you could maybe excuse them for getting caught up in the occasion. But they never got going again today, Raf. Um, and if you look over the course of two games, they've probably only played well for the guts of a 20, 25-minute spell when they really started to express themselves. And that was the spell against Senegal today when they actually got their goal back through Montari and it maybe had a feel that they could get, kind of almost worm their way back into the game. But was too many mistakes. I mean, if you look at the first goal that Senegal got, it's an absolutely diabolical error from the centre half and he's just presented it to D and he puts it away. And you can't afford to do that at this level. Um, they look really far off it with regards to kind of the other teams that we've seen across the first group of games. And it's no surprise to see them having kind of crashed out. And if you're going to, I guess, cough up sloppy mistakes and you haven't got a, a huge amount going forward, think back as well to the goalkeeper in the first game against Ecuador was all over the place. Um, so many mistakes and, and just look like an accident waiting to happen. So it's no real surprise. Hard to gauge much on Senegal either. Uh, they really look as if they're they're struggling without Sadio Mane at the top end of the pitch. So hard to really see too much kind of coming out of that group. Um, even, you know, Ecuador and Holland, very hard to get a gauge on what levels are at. But Qatar as a, as a host nation, very disappointed. Yeah, and Connor, I mean, I think in that opening game against Ecuador when Qatar lost 2-0, the fans streamed out quite early. There seemed yeah. to be an element of it again against uh, Senegal. <laughs> Obviously, look, um, it happens at club level a fair bit, but you, I suppose the expectation at national team level, you tend to expect fans to to hang on a little bit a little bit longer. Yeah, just before that, Grealish has come on for England and he's doing a lot of probing there uh, down, the, down the left wing a bit. So that's something to keep an eye on in 74 minutes. Uh, yeah, Qatar are, I suppose, I mean, this is the first time a, a country has ever gone, a host country has ever gone out this early, but it's kind of fitting because Qatar are, they're an outlier host, really, and they're an outlier in terms of how bad a team they are to get to host a tournament. And, and you know, it was a fitting... It was fitting in that respect. Um, the fan situation, I mean, there, there's probably, you wonder how deep the football culture is. I mean, I know a lot of their players are, are sort of Brazilian project players, as it were. I know that was discussed a lot when Ireland played them uh, twice last year. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, but, but quite fitting in a way, I think, you know. And, uh, you know, I, it, they were, it was always likely to happen. I mean, when we watched Ireland, uh, run riot against them 4-0 uh, last year we briefly wondered was uh, was the Irish footballing renaissance on track suddenly and uh, no it turned out that said as much about the opposition as anything else and we've seen that um, Sen I mean Senegal I, I were quite unlucky against Holland I thought I mean you know very hard hard done by to lose 2-0 they're obviously they've been robbed of their best players I mean it's a sickener for them it would have been interesting to see how they would have done without Mane. They obviously have a, a very a do-or-die game against Ecuador, who looks um, in superb form. 
they all they may be missing Valencia. We don't know about that for that game, but uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. But it, it, you know, it's good to. I mean, personally, I'm glad to see Qatar cleared out of the way. To be honest, um, yeah, and uh, I'm not sure yeah. they're bringing much to the tournament uh, beyond hosting it, which is. Obviously. Yeah, I know. And in fairness, the, the the main reason why the team is there is because they got the hosting rights. Uh, the only reason the team is there, is essentially, it? yes. Um, obviously, no, the they'd have made it under their own steam. It's hard to know because they are Asian Cup champions from 2019, so there there's obviously a, some level of quality there, but. The qualifiers in Asia are quite hard and it tends to be dominated by like you know obviously in a in a knockout competition anything can happen but the Asian qualifiers you tend to see the same teams qualifying i.e South Korea, Japan, Saudi Arabia and Iran generally and also Australia so all those uh, all those nations are there of course as well but uh, you mentioned Ener Valencia who was uh, stretchered off but then he seemed to be able to walk his way back to the bench once he got to the sideline so that's the yeah. Ecuador captain three goals already for the tournament I think six World Cup career goals uh, so far so he scored the equaliser to make it 1-1 against Netherlands which leaves both teams on four points Dutch favourites to top the group now because they played Qatar last but um as you mentioned, uh, Paul, I mean, Senegal, it's hard to judge them. I mean, they were a little bit underwhelming today. And while they were okay against the Dutch in the first game, and what you've seen of Ecuador, defeat, and also the fact that Ecuador actually do have an advantage going into that game, uh, a point advantage, would you fancy Ecuador now to at least get the draw at minimum uh, they need against Senegal on uh, Tuesday of next week? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think... Ecuador good enough to get a point there after probably the team who surprised me the most out of out of the games that I've seen. I thought they were excellent, particularly in the second half against the Dutch today. They uh, they've plenty of pace and power within the team, and Ener Valencia kind of at the top of the of the uh, or playing in the final third has popped up with some important goals. But I think as a whole they've moved the ball really well. That that midfield two of Mendes and Saicedo, Mendes I I think suspended as well he picked up another yellow card today which means that he'll be able which is a big loss for him but kind of the spine of the team is very strong and they caused the Dutch a lot of problems today um, you know you would have maybe excused them for you know dropping the head or, or maybe kind of losing their way after going a goal behind but they bounced back really well and once they once they drew level they had one that crashed off the off the crossbar from Plata and if that had gone in, you, you would have seen them going on and taking all three points there and being the favourites to top the group, as it is with the Dutch. And having got a point so far, they will naturally kind of assume that position. But on the basis of the two games that we've seen, Ecuador and Senegal, Ecuador look like a, a stronger outfit to me. I think Senegal are liable to concede goals. I think Mendy looks as if he's his confidence is, is a little weak. The two goals against the Dutch, I think he could have done better on both of them. And uh, again today himself and Koulibaly, there was just chances that they that they gifted the Qataris that you think against a better team and the likes of an Ecuador, they would take advantage of that. So Ecuador, you know, if they get out of the group, which I would fancy them to do, they're gonna they're gonna be a difficult opposition for likely uh, England, I believe, if 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 it was to go that way. So be interesting to see how that one pans out. If I was an English fan, if England are to finish top of the group, I'd much rather play Senegal than I would Ecuador. Yeah, I think the, the those two teams met in the last 16 in 2006. I think it was a David Beckham free kick, which separated England and Ecuador on that occasion. But uh, and the, obviously England didn't go much further than that, got knocked out in the very next game with uh, that famous game when uh, Cristiano Ronaldo winked uh, towards the bench after playing a part and getting Wayne Rooney sent off. And obviously, as we've seen in the past week or so, those two are the 
best of friends, of course. But uh, Connor, you were doing the match tracker for the uh, Netherlands against Ecuador, yeah. and I've done it twice for the Dutch so far. I seem to be I seem to have been appointed Dutch football uh, minder for this tournament. Yeah, I, I quite um, underwhelming, I would say. Yeah, underwhelming. Um, yeah, particularly in midfield. I mean, I, I Frankie Dion has disappointed me. He's been quite. I mean, he he's supposed to be a creative presence. Now he did create the goal for Gakpo against uh, Senegal, but he's been peripheral in large, large stretches. And he was peripheral again today, and they were generally sort of overrun in midfield. I thought um, the one thing the Dutch can rely on is their defense is very strong, and you know has broadly done its job. I thought um, Ake was particularly good today when he needed to be and uh Noppert in goal has been a very good shot stopper he, you know he, aside from his tendency to take a lot out of ball when he's when he's dealing with back passes which kind of did in a roundabout way lead to the Ecuador equalizer today but generally I mean the Dutch the, the creativity I don't think is there they're not really functioning higher up the pitch now I know Depay is there are questions over his fitness he hasn't started either game he was uh, pivotal or relatively influential on his introduction against Senegal, much less so today. Um, but it's I think they urgently need him to get back to the full of his health because higher up the pitch they're uh, they're lacking at the moment. Um, I, I thought like Coop, Coop Miners today was was quite poor and as he lost the ball whenever he got it. Um, you know I thought they were struggling creatively and. Uh, I, I, you know, because they've only Qatar left and the group is quite tame, they will certainly progress. But uh, I could I could envision them even losing a last 16 game. Now, who that'll be against, we don't know. I mean, it could be against America based on tonight. But they'll, uh, I don't, I, you, there's scant evidence that they're contenders so far, you'd have to say. Yeah. Um, the camera um, The camera does love their management team. I mean, with his endless lingering shots of their high-powered... Uh, yeah, like, of... Uh, like and the class of... Yeah, Edgar Davids and uh, Danny Blind uh, as well, yeah. I think there was a, sh a shot of Wesley Schneider in the crowd as well. All obviously not involved in uh, not involved with the staff there, but then again, I think a lot of legends from different countries. I saw uh, Antonio Valencia of Manchester United fame in the in the crowd as well. But um, Cody Gakpo, at least uh, up front, uh, Paul, he does... Well, I think he's already been someone earmarked as a star in the making, and in that attacking two or three that the Dutch have played, he seems to be the one that uh, really is carrying the fight to the opposition. Absolutely. And uh, I'd I fully agree with Connor in the sense that in midfield in the final third, they really look like they're lacking. If, you know, if you're relying on the likes of Bergwijn, and Klassen and Janssen, there's not going to be a huge amount of goals coming from that team. And to be fair to, to Gakbo, he's popped up with, with important goals and important times for the Dutch. I mean, the, the goal against Senegal was a run from deep and uh, this was kind of similar today, albeit he kind of picked the ball up in the final third and, I mean, he shifted onto his onto his weaker side and he absolutely ripped it and it was a superb strike and he, he looks as if he's, he's certainly got enough to play at a very high level. He's probably different in the sense that he maybe doesn't want to get too involved in the play too deep and wants to join in and, and maybe play off a front man or run beyond the front man and into the final third. And I mean, if you see the way he's played in the first two games, it's no surprise that 
he's picked up so many goals at club level because he does have that kind of that killer instinct in around the final third and that's that's a bit of a knack of just kind of drifting into those areas and picking those balls up and and being so good in front of goal and he certainly seems to have it so if they are to to kind of cause any threats within the round of 16 with a lack of goals within that team that's somebody that you would you would be hoping for uh that he could maybe repeat that um in the in the games to come but outside of him it's very hard to see where the goals come from uh Depay looks kind of half cut coming into the tournament I know he's carried he's been carrying an injury and he's not played a huge amount of football there's very little offered from from the other three when they've played up top but Gakbo is somebody who you would expect will end up in the Premier League at some stage yeah, I was talking to somebody today, a Manchester United fan, who I think was uh, hopeful that uh, with Ronaldo gone now, they'll, they'll go after Gakpo. <laughs> Quite big shoes to fill, both in terms of personality and uh, also with ability as well. Um, yesterday when we were recording, of course, it was during Brazil's 2-0 win over Serbia. And uh, Paul, what did you make of uh, Brazil's performance overall? Yeah, I thought, I thought they were excellent. I think what you what you need to take into consideration as well as the opposition that they were playing against and the Serbians are a very strong side. I mean, we would have seen that playing them in the qualifying campaign, but I just I just thought the the dominance of of the Brazilians on on the day. If you, if you look down through the spine of the squad, I think you know they've got such a good relationship there with Marquinhos and Thiago Silva. They played a Paris Saint-Germain for for so many years. They seem to have such good understanding, and they get that extra protection from Casemiro. And if you get that right, naturally enough, the fellas in the final third are going to pop up with chances there and they're going to score your goals. And I thought Vinicius on one side was just electric. I mean, he's so hard to defend. It's, he's, he's very unpredictable. Sometimes you wonder, does he know what he's going to do with the ball? And if he doesn't really know, how as a defender are you meant to know? So it's so hard to play against. And then the quality of a Neymar, Rafinha and Richarlison, they will always produce moments. And the two moments came from Richarlison last night were just absolutely superb. The touch for that second goal and the finish was was just incredible. And if it's not him in the next game, you would imagine Rafinha or Gabriel Jesus or Martinelli or whoever it is will, will come on and do something similar. So they seem to have a really good rhythm to their game. I was I was a little sceptical going into SA Raf purely on the basis of how poor Argentina were about what is the strength and depth like within South America. But I think a lot of people were touting Brazil as favourites coming into the competition. I think they fully backed it up last night. Yeah, and Connor, but there is a blow for them in terms of injury. Neymar, uh, who is out for the remainder of the group stage due to an ankle injury picked up uh, during the second half of that game. I don't know whether that's as big a blow for them as many no, people, I, I as suspect, people think. Yeah, I suspect they'll, they'll be all right. I mean, Richarlison looked exceptionally good last night. I, 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 I don't see them getting into trouble at all in the group phase. I mean, they'll They'll get through that. Um, you know, the, their their problem in recent World Cups has, has been when they've come up against elite level European opposition late in tournaments, and that's when it's really going to test them when they meet the equivalent of, I suppose, France or Spain coming down the line. And Spain looked probably the best team so far to me. You now, how 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 good Costa Rica were? I suspect Serbia are far more substantial opposition than Costa Rica proved to be. So we'll have, we'll have to see. But I mean, Brazil looked to be to be purring well enough. I mean, they've they've justified uh, the pre-tournament hype, I suppose, to to some extent. Unlike unlike their uh, their big neighbours down there in South America, who uh, obviously are in the last chance saloon tomorrow, I suppose, really. Yeah, and that is one of four fixtures we have live on RT2 and the RT player. The first of those is Tunisia against Australia at 10am. 
And then Poland against Saudi Arabia at one o'clock, France against Denmark at four, and then it is Argentina against Mexico at seven. We'll come to that one very, very shortly. But uh, Tunisia and Australia, um, Paul, Tunisia actually looked pretty impressive against one of the dark horses I would have picked, Denmark. And then Australia for for all of uh, all of about 10 minutes at the start against France. <laughs> and it came on the same day of the Argentina-Saudi Arabia shock. Actually, there was a part of me that very slowly believed that maybe something else was on the cards on the same day. <laughs> yeah, Tunisia. Tunisia were very well drilled against Denmark. Now, Denmark, it was probably a couple of question marks about their own performances and, and, you know, where they can actually go within the competition. But to be fair, Tunisia, I thought they came in and they were really drilled. Listen, it's, it's going to be a very important game. Um, it looks as if France will, will take that group quite easily based on their performance against Australia. But if Australia are to produce anything like they did in the first 20, 25 minutes in particular, they look good going forward. They really did look good going forward. And, and that would have surprised, I'm sure, a number of people because they probably don't have the names that stand out in the team sheet like they have done in, in previous years. So it's a type of game where a draw is probably useless to both sides. Uh, and three points is vitally important for, for either one of them if they are to have any sort of chance of getting out of the group. And, you know, for for Australian in particular, if, if they were to win tomorrow and maybe going into the game against Denmark only need to needing a point that could be in a, in a very strong position so it'd be interesting one to see how it plays out I imagine we have to be a number of people who'd be setting the alarm for 12 o'clock tomorrow and, and not telling <laughs> you to go for this one uh, but it could be one that kind of springs a surprise because even Wales and Iran was such a good watch today I'm sure there wasn't many people tuning in for that one but uh, I would probably fancy Tunisia based on, on what we saw in the first round the Aussies have great uh, energy and aggression but they're probably they're lacking really in composure and now so it's, uh, they were uh, yeah they, they were uh, they were full of gusto and beans for the first 20 minutes but it fizzled out badly yeah I, I was going to say just uh, to viewers tomorrow please do set your alarm before 10 o'clock uh, <laughs> obviously uh, look um, send any blame to me if Tunisia and Australia turns out to be a, uh, a bit of a damn squib and it possibly will be but uh, France Denmark actually Paul at the same time um, Denmark beat France twice during the Nations League. Now, they didn't look like world beaters uh, last time out against Tunisia, but with that being said, like, if you look at France, uh, did you see any real weaknesses beyond that, um, you know, the early part of that game against Australia? I think I think the major concern for France is in the middle of the pitch, just with the players that they've lost. I think Kante has been so pivotal in the in the tournaments that they've done well in, and he's got a really good relationship with uh, with Pogba when he's played in there. So whether or not Rabiot and Tushami are going to be good enough to to kind of see them through, that remains to be seen. I thought there was a couple of gaps, particularly in kind of transitions, that would maybe give you a bit of worry as a French fan. But naturally enough, they're they're so good going forward, like Mbappe. I think plays so well with uh, with Giroud and Griezmann in particular. I think Giroud suits kind of being that target man, and the others just per patrolling in in and around and and behind him and in front of him, picking up loose balls and just linking the play. And then they've obviously got the width from Dembele, so uh, it, it's hard to gauge Australia. You know, if you look at Spain and playing Costa Rica, you probably question the opposition. You'd probably say the same about Australia when France played, but in terms of going forward, the fluency that they have. The, the relationships they have in that final third, they're so strong. But a couple of question marks in the centre of the midfield and probably a couple of defensive question marks as well. Whether or not they just got complacent against Australia, that could have been the case. Um, but 
it remains to be seen. And Denmark could be Denmark could be a stiffer test. They've obviously done well against. Them. I I kind of find it hard to to gauge Nations League results just because I'm not sure how, oh. how serious France France take that sort of. Um, what, what has happened there, Connor? I uh, know, no, there was a sloppy pass out of defence and Grealish nipped onto it. There's, a, there's only four minutes of injury time here. I don't know, that's very... Yeah, that's... Very that's very abrupt to- by the standards of this world. Totally, <laughs> yeah, very, very strange and very small amount of, uh, of uh, uh, stoppage time there. Yeah, um, yeah, as you said, I think with the Mbappe thing, interesting enough, I think he's been complaining at PSG that he'd like to play off a more kind of central target man striker, um, which obviously Messi is not and... Uh, also, Neymar is not, but uh, obviously Giroud is uh, filling that slot, and it would have been Benzema, obviously, but uh, he's out with injury. Uh, Connor, Poland, and Saudi Arabia as well. I mean, Robert Lewandowski had the opportunity to score his first ever World Cup goal, and it would be a travesty if a player of his uh, of yeah. his ability wasn't to, wasn't to add his name to the list of Polish strikers or players in general who have scored in a tournament. And I would I, I would have earmarked the Saudi Arabia game as the one maybe where he would plunder okay. a few goals. Not quite so sure now. Not quite. The Saudis have really forced us to readjust our uh, our, our preconceived notions about them. All right, yeah. No, it'll be it'll be a shock. I mean, I was I was kind of surprised to to learn that stat, but of course, oh, just why there? Uh, Poland had a uh, they they they've only made the 2018 World Cup, I suppose, in his time. So. Um, and went out in the first round there, so it it is a bit shocking for for such a relentless, absurd goal machine as as Lewandowski not to score World Cup goals like um, the equivalent of George Best or someone never even playing in a World Cup. Um, but he still has two games to do it. You wouldn't back against him. I I, I still think better than fifty percent chance he'll he'll hustle a goal out of somewhere. Um, maybe the Saudis have played their played their World Cup final. Who knows? I mean. When we beat Italy in New Jersey, that was pretty much it for that World Cup. I know they drew with Norway, but that was, in emotional terms, that was the high point, and maybe that'll be the case for the Saudis. Um, it's definitely thrown that group um, wide open. I mean, it would help Mexico, I suppose, as well, if Poland took a result, because the last thing anyone wants is Saudi, the Saudis nailing down a, a knockout spot with sort of Argentina still lurking around and still with their, their quality. So... Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see whether the, the Saudi Arabia can back it up. Um, on paper, you'd have, you'd, have, you'd have earmarked Poland as favourites for that, but it's, it's all up in the air. I thought the Mexico game, I mean, I'm kind of half watching it. I mean, I th- they looked somewhat the better team against Mexico, who invariably reached the second round in these things. Um, <laughs> and, no, and no further. And no further. Um, Poland, uh, I think the last time was Italian 90 when they weren't even allowed to enter, but... Uh, they, yeah, the Poles looked to have the edge, I thought. If anyone was going to win it, they were going to win it. But uh, yeah, it, uh, one of the many nil-all draws that have happened. And I see there's another one that's just that's just concluded there in front of me as I speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit behind, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, that's uh, England nil and USA nil. We'll, we'll touch on uh, just your assessment and take on that result very shortly because there is, uh, before that, obviously, 7 o'clock tomorrow, Argentina, Mexico. And Paul, I mean, doesn't really get bigger than that. I mean, it's a much more interesting fixture now based off of uh, what happened in the, the first round of games. And really, like, Messi, Messi was okay in the first half against Saudi Arabia. Sort of disappeared out of it now, but... The amount of pressure he's going to be under now to single-handedly drag them past Mexico when, in fact, this is a team game and some of his other illustrious teammates like Di Maria and Lautaro Martinez will probably need to up their games as well. 
yeah, there's certainly a case to be made for a number of the players. I, I would start with the two centre-halves. Uh, Romero and Otamendi were absolutely dreadful last time out. And you would think if they're going to kind of cough up those types of chances against Mexico, they'd be good enough to take them as well. But I have everything crossed, Raf, that <laughs> Argentina are going to pull it out of the bag. Uh, I desperately want to see Messi go deep into this competition. I'd love to see him win it. But on you would be hoping that there'd be some sort of kickback or bounce off of the uh, Saudi Arabia performance. I wasn't overly impressed with either Mexico or Poland, so I would imagine that Argentina should still have enough to to kind of win their next two games and get out of the group. So, yeah, expecting a huge improvement in performance, kind of hoping to see a little more from Messi in particular and the likes of Di Maria. It'd be interesting to see what sort of selection he goes with. I think he'd be he'd be mad not to bring Alvarez from Man City in, into into the starting eleven. He'd certainly inject a lot of energy, and I'd bring Martinez from Manchester United in at centre half and in replace Romero because I didn't think he offered much. So yeah, the the starting lineup be interesting. They've got good strength and depth in their squad. They should have more than enough to to beat Mexico on the base of what we saw against Poland. Yeah, but uh, central midfield is obviously going to be a key area. Now, I was talking to Tim Vickery before the tournament. He was talking about Giovanni Lo Celso, who has a really good relationship with Messi on the pitch in terms of combining. Just looking at the midfield against Saudi Arabia, um, you mentioned the likes of Romero. They didn't really seem to have any pathway. And obviously, Saudi Arabia sort of pressed high and packed the middle. Um, they might need a tweak maybe to a 4-2-3 maybe. Um, 4-2-3-1 was what they played against the Saudis and they just didn't seem to have any real midfield balance or options there. Maybe it, it could look like maybe a third option in the middle of the park might help against Mexico. Yeah, yeah and a lot has been made of Lo Celso not being in the squad and that probably surprised a number of people who watched the Premier League based on what he did at Tottenham, but he certainly seemed to be very important with regards to the link in that play and they struggled to link the play between the back four and kind of the front four players against Saudi Arabia. If I was Mexico, I would set up in the exact same way as, as Saudi Arabia did. I'd play with a high line, try to get in their faces and try kind of prevent those supply lines into the likes of Messi and try to starve them high up the pitch because... If you look at the players they played, and this is exactly why I'd bring Alvarez in, Di Maria, Messi, and uh, I can't remember the name for, of the fellow from Sevilla, Papu... Oh, Papu Gomez. Papu Gomez, 34, 34, and 35. They just don't have the legs to run in behind you. And that that game plan from Saudi Arabia worked extremely well. So, yes, there, there's a case to be made for for changing the centre of midfield and trying to get somebody to link the play a bit better. But I think they need to they need better options, particularly in wide areas with with uh, with regards to how they can actually get at teams and get down the side of teams and, and go through teams because to rely on you know Messi every single time as being kind of your link man to to go and hurt teams, it does become a bit predictable and they do seem as if they need a, a couple of more weapons. But I'm sure we'll see that tomorrow and I'm sure we'll see uh, Argentina win. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine they'll be as bad as they were first time out. Yeah, and uh, before we go, so uh, Connor, England, the sequel, not quite as uh, vibrant as the uh, as the original movie. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, all the talk will go negative now. I presume there was a burst of booze at the final whistle from the uh, England crowd. Uh, the Americans looked delighted, notwithstanding their uh, cultural hostility to zero zero ties as they call it um yeah no it was almost reminiscent of you know 2010 stodgy england world cup performances of that we all you know cherish from years past uh, algeria the 2006 displays i mean it was it was a bit like that and america had the better of it now the game they didn't quite 
create quite as many chances in the second half of the Americans. The game kind of petered out slightly. England, England probably shaded the very latter stages of it, but without peppering the goal, certainly. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, a, a very well-deserved point from America who could have taken more. And uh, yeah, I suppose it leaves that group wide open. I mean, you, you'd, I, on form, you'd fancy in a one-off game, uh, the great Satan to uh, defeat Iran in the last game. So that, uh, it's well set up there. And even Wales still have a puncher's chance after, after all that. Yeah, but uh, do, you, do you expect much of an overreaction from England? Obviously, Gareth Southgate isn't that type of manager, Paul. I mean, he's uh, he's generally stuck to his guns amid criticism. Obviously, bringing in James Madison was probably more just a reflection of uh, the form he has been in rather maybe than, uh, you know, pressure from the public. But uh, they do have that option of going to the tree, the tree, the tree at the back or the 3-4-3 uh, system. But against Wales, do you sort of expect them not to overreact and sort of stick more or less to the team that there now um even in spite of uh you know falling short against falling short of getting a win against the united states yeah there was there was a couple of players tonight who who probably wouldn't have done themselves uh much good i thought sterling in particular looked sluggish in that game and when you have the likes of phil foden and jack Grealish on the bench those questions are always going to come up from the english media why are we not playing particularly Phil Foden, who's in such good form for Man City in a game like this. So I would say those questions will come. It always does with the English media. But I would say deep down when Gareth Southgate reflects on it, I think he'll be pleased he's got a clean sheet. I think that's the one thing that really bothered him in the, in the Iran game was the fact they leaked two goals. And the further they go into this competition, the more he's going to be relying on clean sheets to kind of guide them through games and get them out of sticky positions. The five at the back is inevitably coming, Raph. You know, when Kyle Walker gets back fit, when they get out of the group, that is exactly what he will refer to because he wants to be difficult to beat and he'll rely on the likes of, of Kane and Saka in the final third to hopefully get them out of difficult situations. But is he going to stick with the same 11 for all three games and then into the round of 16? I don't know. I, I think he needs to freshen things up. Mason Mount looked okay tonight. Jude Bellingham was okay. Jude Bellingham came off for Jordan Henderson. Um. I'd expect a couple of changes because those questions will, will inevitably come, but he won't panic. I mean, they've done well in the last two competitions. They have the know-how of how to get out of these these um, sticky situations. And if you look at the group that they're paired with for the round of 16, they're not really going to get tested until that quarterfinal stage. Yeah, and uh, just a reminder for people looking to watch some of the matches tomorrow, it is uh, Australian Tunisia at 10 o'clock on RT2 and RT Player, and then on the same channels, um, Poland against Saudi Arabia at 1 o'clock, France against Denmark at 4, Argentina against Mexico at 7. The podcast will be back tomorrow, but I'll be uh, off for the weekend, so I'll be back on Monday. Paul Curry, thanks a million for uh, taking the time, and also Conor Neville. Thanks, Raf. Oh, yeah.